Hey, it's Jeff and Jeremy from the Ultra Running Guys. And if you are here, you probably already know that we started this podcast to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. But what you may not know is in addition to this podcast, we also host two live races in the Wilmington, North Carolina area that are designed to do the same. One of which is the Hydra that we just hosted. It was an absolute blast. So stay tuned for the release of the 2024 date because you won't want to miss it. Speaking of not missing things, for now, go ahead and mark your calendars for September 16th when we host the final countdown. And whether you've never run before or you're a hardcore ultra veteran, this race is designed to help you find your limits and we'll be there to celebrate it with you. So share with your friends, check us out on the ultrarunningguys.com and you can always check out the links in the show notes for more info. And with that, enjoy the episode. And remember, when in doubt, just show up. secret to ultra running is that it's much easier than people think it is like you know people think it's impossible to run 100 miles but i've run 100 miles you guys have run 100 miles like you know you think it's just like superhuman david goggins kind of people but it's like it's me it's you guys it's normal people you know and it's of course you have to train and you got to train physically and mentally and you got to do your research but it's much easier than people think And welcome back to the Ultra Running Guys. You got Jeremy Reynolds and Jeff Winchester of the Ultra Running Guys. And the reason that we're here is to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. And first, huge thank you to the Ultra Running Guys family. I'm going to give the ask that I always do. If you are finding value, please go give us the rating, give us the review. We do appreciate you guys, but let's just jump right into the guest. I'm super excited about this one as always, but our guest tonight is one of the most inspiring people we've been lucky enough to get to know. And to be honest, she's a little bit of an enigma because on the one hand, when you see her on the course or even on social media, she doesn't look like she has a care in the world. She personifies pure joy. But when you look at her results and try to wrap your head around all that she's accomplished, it quickly becomes clear that there's a lot more under the surface. So she ran her first 50K in 2016, her first 50 miler in 2017, and her first 100 miler in 2018, and she has not looked back. And this year, she's looking to be added to a short and distinguished list by taking on the Badwater Ultra Cup, which is comprised of the Badwater Cape Fear 51 miler, the 81 mile Badwater Salton Sea, both of which she's already accomplished this year, and the legendary Badwater 135 coming up in July. So stick around to learn how you can find immense joy in running while still being tough enough to take on the self-proclaimed world's toughest foot race, the Badwater 135. And with that, Emily Lyons, welcome to the show. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. That was a very fun intro. I'm like, oh man, who's coming on to the show? Is there someone else that's after me? Like, <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> you, you earned it. And this is actually pretty special because we'll talk about, we've been lucky enough to kind of intersect your journey a little bit. And actually, I think we're part of, you know, some of the, the early races. So this is gonna be really fun. One of the things that really stuck out, we asked you some information and knowing you now, this is not something you go, oh, I wouldn't expect this to come out of your mouth, but you said during your first half marathon, you couldn't imagine doing double that, right? And, and doing a marathon. Knowing you now, that that's kind of hard to comprehend, but take us back to that. Tell us about that experience and then how you jumped from that to who we're talking to now. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't recall why I signed up for my first half 
marathon. My first half marathon was the 2014 uh, Wilmington half marathon. I think I was like, you know what? That sounds fun. Let's do a half marathon. I had never really done any other organized race. Like, I don't even know if I had done a 5K. I like grew up doing like soccer, you know, I had to track uh, once in like high school, but yeah, decided to to sign up. And then um, I don't know if I had a training plan. I, I don't really recall. I think I just kind of went out and ran like every day a couple miles. And then um, got to the half marathon and started, I think I ran the fastest I've ever run for like seven miles. <laughs> uh, and then the next three were like, okay, I guess I should slow down. And then the last three were, I'm dying. Um, <laughs> and somehow I, that's the fastest half marathon I've ever done. Um, it was 158, haven't been able to touch it since, uh, but I remember finishing and my legs felt like baby draft legs. Like I, I couldn't walk and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I ran that. Like it felt so good. Um, running my first half marathon and then, you know, I went out to Tidal Creek to like eat everything on the buffet bar that they had. Um, and just couldn't imagine that people did it like twice in a row. I was like, how, like, that's humanly impossible. I almost died doing, you know, half of it and people go out and do double that. So I just, you know, I was just amazed that people could do a full marathon. And I think I did a couple more halves, maybe did the Wilmington the next year, did the Battleship half, which is also in Wilmington. So that was 2015, 2016, um, I heard about the Southern Tour Ultra. So that's that was my first full, actually for my first full marathon and my first like uh, ultra marathon. So I, I don't recall if I had read Born to Run before or afterwards, you know. But, you know, signed up for the 50K, did that, and then the rest is history. You know, I can, I can keep going if you guys No, 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 because no. I, I want to camp out there for just a minute because that's actually okay. where I first met you was the yeah, Southern yeah. Tour 50K in 2016. I remember running loops, and it's a loop course as well. And somehow we ended up on the trail at the exact same time. We talked about our friends who were faster than us um, that were also yeah. out there running <laughs> and everything. Ironically, I was talking about you, and I believe you were talking either about Tara or somebody like that at the time but yeah, um Sarah, yes, yeah yeah so first time I ever met you but it's interesting because you just said that in 2014 you started with your first half marathon you weren't sure about how people could even double that and yet you ended up skipping the marathon and within a year and a half jumped <laughs> yeah. over right jumped over to your first 50k so what drew you into actually signing up for it I I really don't recall I wish I had that backstory you know because it would be more interesting to my ultra marathon journey but I feel like I can't, like I said, I can't remember if I had read Born to Run first or if I had signed up for the Southern Tour, but I feel like it was the latter. I just heard about the Southern Tour, you know, I was like, oh, that sounds cool. And it's by the same people as the Wilmington Marathon, you know, uh, without limit. So I feel like I heard about it and I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds fun. I'll just sign up for that. And again, no training plan. I didn't train for that. I just kind of went out there and ran each lap and met buddies, you know, like you, Jeff, and and they had aid stations. And so I just kind of ate at every, every aid station, even though I had no idea about nutrition or hydration. And actually, I finished like pretty well. Like, I don't know my time, but I felt good when I finished, which is strange. You know, it's like a 50K and I didn't train and I, and I didn't know anything about nutrition, which is not what I can say about my next race. It was a marathon in March where I went out. I was really cocky. I'm like, I've done a 50K, I've done a trail, you know, marathon, I can do this. I bonked so hard around mile 18 and it was raining really hard. And it, that race was worse than my first 50K. It was really funny. And that was the Wilmington Marathon, right? Mm -hmm. 
It was. Because, because yeah. that was actually my first marathon. So you shared your first 50K with Jeff at Southern Tour. Yeah. And then we have the same marathon, you know, birthday for our first marathon. Oh my gosh, that's great. Wait, so the 2016, you did the 2016 yep. uh, Wilmington Marathon. Oh my it's gosh, a, I didn't realize that. That's so did I. So, so did I. <laughs> <laughs> it was my first time going sub four, but it was in the only time. But that's beside the point. So yeah, there was a good group, but that's actually, so the reason that I did not do Southern Tour 50K, because I was signed up for that as well. But then I won an entry with Without Limits to run that marathon and some coaching that came along with it. And she was like, you're not going to run a 50K before you, because I was trying to qualify for Boston, which I did not because I hit that same wall that you hit. But, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, so I know exactly what that feels like. But I'll say that. So I ran my first marathon and I kind of moved on. Your first marathon experience, and this is to me kind of foreshadowing who Emily is, right? So you're like, okay, I did 50K, I did my first but that was the beginning of March Madness. Tell us about what March yeah. Madness was and, and how that came about. So, yeah, I, I signed up for all these races. I called it March Madness. So I'd started with the Wilmington Marathon. So I ran that. That was my first true marathon. And I was like, like I said, I was cocky. I'd done the 50K. It was trail. <laughs> this is on the road, you know. And so I get out there. And again, I know nothing about training or nutrition or hydration and i'm just running and it's you know there's not enough there's not as much aid as there was at southern tour you know like the difference between a marathon aid station and ultra marathon aid station so i'm just running and then it starts raining and it's really cold and you guys know tim hamilton oh, yeah. um i had seen him at the beginning and i'm pretty sure i was cold and i was like tim it's really cold he's like oh let me give you the shirt and i'm like okay cool and so he gave me this like long sleeve shirt and I ended up wearing that for the rest of the marathon. But like, I have this picture. It's one of my mirror or one of my um, Facebook profiles pictures. And I've like have my arms up. I'm at like mile 23. And you can just tell I'm just done. I am like, this sucks. <laughs> I hit the wall at 18 and never recovered and just kind of plotted along the, the rest of them. What is that? Eight miles, you know, to the finish. And so that was the first one. The very next weekend, I you know, signed up for a trail marathon in Charlotte. It was at the Whitewater Center. Oh, that was even rougher than the Wilmington Marathon because <laughs> it was like mountain bike trails. So mm -hmm. it was just up and down, up and down. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And I ended up running most of the race with these two people in uh, Charlotte who were like, yeah, we trained to do this, you know, like, and I'm like, oh my gosh, these people trained to do this? What do you mean trained? Like, I thought you just came out and like ran the race, you know? And um, I ended up spending the rest of the race with them. I remember Kim, and then I think it was Dave who was who was running with us. It's it's kind of like, you know, you make ultra buddies, you know, and you're just friends with mm -hmm. them for the rest of the time. Well, so, all right, so we finished, actually, let me go back to Wilmington Marathon. I think I finished in like 5.30. I don't recall my time. And then the trail marathon the next weekend, I finished in like 6.30. It was rough. So, and we finished and I have another Facebook profile picture and you can see my face and I'm like dying. Both Kim has this funny look on her face. She's like, eh, and I'm like, you know, <laughs> just dead. And so I finished that. And then the next weekend I ran the Fort Bragg marathon, which Tuesday is one of my favorite races, just a really cool marathon. Um, it just happened you know, those three marathons lined up back to back to back. So I'm like, well, let's sign up for them. Let's, you know, let's see what happens. And by the third marathon, my legs were pretty sore, but it was pretty cool standing in the corral, like knowing, oh man, all these people probably like 
you know, train and they look forward to this day and then maybe it's their first marathon and, you know, they don't know that I've run two marathons in the past two weekends, you know, it's just like kind of cool to like sit in the corral thinking about that. Um, but I remember finishing and it was super fun and I felt like I had gotten the hang of marathons, you know, in my like, you know, drinking from the fire hose, just, you know, run three back to back to back. So that that's what I've dubbed now as March Madness or my, um, the, my first three marathons in three back to back weekends. Or back to back to back weekends. Yeah, there's so much there for me, but I'm, I know we're going to talk about some of your, like, we're going to talk about Bad Water in a few minutes and everything and get to some of the um, big ultras that you've been a part of and had some incredible experiences with. But but one of the things that is, strikes me about all this is that, you know, it's so fast. Like the, the jump is so fast and so consistent. So if you could just give me an idea, um, I know you were involved in Spartans and some other things like that earlier on, but were you doing any kind of training between like from, from January we did where we did the 50 K up to March madness. There's, there are six weeks probably, I think between that and the first marathon, is there any running that you're doing? Is there any kind of training you were doing even before the 50 K to like begin to build here? Or are you just out there just going to wing it in prayer? So that's fair. I, I was into Spartans. So I, um, that was kind of like my previous life before I was an ultra marathoner. I was super into Spartan races. Stu and I, my husband we had done our first uh spartan race 2015 it was the fort bragg sprint and then we did the atlanta super and the what was it the carolina beast in south carolina and then after that we got super into him so i guess 2016 i was training for spartan races and i was training with tara who you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. who was now deca famous so it's like um oh, her friend you know but um <laughs> anyway so yeah i was training i was training for spartan races but i wasn't training for like ultras so i guess you know i don't want it to sound like couch to 50k you know because I was training for Spartan races, but I feel like that's a different skill set. You know, like Mm -hmm. you're training for kind of speed, you're training for um, like the obstacles, you know, so I wasn't training long distances, but I I was training for Spartan races. Well, I I just think to establish some context, because I know if I'm a listener, I'm thinking, how in the world did you jump from a 50K to three marathons (laughs) back to back? I would be destroyed. Now, it still destroys (laughs) you. And you described how rough it was. And there, but there's got to be some level of fitness that can allow your body to endure through some of that stuff because it's an, it's an impressive accomplishment to be able to do three back-to-back marathons in my brain. Well, so here's <laughs> the thing that I love about it is that, hey, first marathon, and then you do two more back-to-back, right? It, you literally yeah. do three, three in three weeks. <laughs> and to me, that's like just who I've always known you as. But when I think about, because we've had some different guests, so Andy Glaze, I don't know if you're plugged into him, but he just does so many different things. We've We've had people that run these big things so consistently. And it seems like it's one of two things. It's either somebody like yourself, who's just like super joyful or always smiling, or uh, I think a happiness that kind of helps fuel, or we've seen also people that are just really good at suffering. Mm -hmm. And I think they like, sometimes there's almost like an underlying pain, right? You're like, Hey, what is driving this person? Um, But either way, it's very helpful in that scenario. But I've always looked at you and just been like, like, that's why I said in the intro, you just always look happy. I you can tell me there's pictures of you where you look done, but my guess is I would look at that and be like, Oh, she's joking. That looks like a happy moment. Right. So so let me ask this because one of the other things you said, and, and we're gonna talk about some of the other jumps that you've made, because again, doing the ultra cup, like in the time that we've known you, you've come so far, yep. but at the same time, if I think you've kind of just been doing your thing mm-hmm. and enjoying it. But you said there's a secret to ultra running. What is the secret to ultra running? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like I uh, swiped this for someone. I feel like it was from a Corey Reese book, or I heard someone else say this. But the secret to ultra running is that it's much easier than people think it is. Like, you know, people think it's impossible to run 100 miles, but I've run 100 miles. You guys have run 100 miles. Like, you know, you think it's just like superhuman David Goggins kind of people. But it's like, it's me, it's you guys, it's normal people, you know, and it's, of course, you have to train and you got to train physically and mentally and you got to do your research, but it's much easier than people think. And I, and I like to tell people, like, if you can do a 5K, you can do like a 10K. If you do a 10K, you can do a half on and on, you know, you can get to a 50 miler, you can do a hundred miler, you know, this, that's sort of like how I, you know, I tell people, if you can do that one step, you can get to the next one and then the next one, but you have to want it. But yeah, the secret of ultra running is that you can totally do it. Yeah, it's it's much easier than people think. So so what makes you well, not makes you what made you make this this jump? Because again, you caught the bug, right? And you decided yeah. that I'm going to be all about doing some ultras. Uh, and I don't know where that transition happened in your brain, what caused it, what kind of research you did. I know you did a lot of research. What propelled you into the to the world of ultra running? Like fell in love with it, if you will. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when I like something, I really like it. I can't just kind of like something, you know, so when I get into running, I really get into running. You know, I did the 50K and then, like you said, caught the buck. So then I, you know, started reading all these ultra running books, like, of course, Dean Karnazes, Ultra Marathon Man, Born to Run, uh, Scott Jurek's Eat and Run, Killian's Run or Die. I Right now I have this, I say, ultra running library. There's like 20 or 30 books in it. But yeah, I read all that. I read race reports. I bought Hal Corner's um, training plan book. And so read everything I could about ultra running, read race reports, and just sort of dove into it and then decided to sign up for 50 miler. You know, I'm like, all right, that's the next step, you know, is to like run a 50 miler. So what 50 miler do I sign up for? So I went online, Googled 50 miler or something, because I don't think I knew about ultra sign up and realized like, um, holy crap, there's a bad water near me, like a bad water in my backyard, 45 minutes away. By then I had heard of bad water. Death Valley and all that. I'm like, wow. And it's a 50 miler, which is what I want to run. I mean, technically 51.4, but you know, signed up for that. And that's the first time I remember ever really training because um, I'm like, wow, like, you know, I feel like that's my first step into ultra running. Even though I did the 50K, I did that two years in a row. And, you know, of course, I did like back to back marathons, which is very ultra running esque. Yeah. So I decided to really train for that race and just see what I could do. You know, I, like I said earlier, I had Hal Corner's training plan and followed that pretty rigidly. Um, and yeah, went out there and had a lot of fun, joined the Badwater family. And um, it was really hard. It was like the hardest race I'd ever done. And I died out on the beach. Jeff, you know, you've run that race. Uh, <laughs> there's a reason it's called a Badwater event. You think it's really flat, fast, but that, that beach will kill you and, and resurrect you, which is how I felt on my last lap. Um, but yeah, I feel like that was really where like Emily came from is when I finished the Badwater 50 miler, you know, ultra runner Emily was born. It's interesting because um, <clears throat> for those that don't, don't know about the race and everything, it is a um, 51.4 mile race, 12 miles on cart paths, and then it is 38. A warm up, the 12 mile yeah. warm up. <laughs> it is a warm it. up, if you will. <laughs> and then it's two 19 mile loops, basically, um, on a, out and back on a beach. So it's like 38 miles. Uh, all on the sand, dealing with the tide and everything. And it's it's a rough race for sure. But what's incredible about um, Badwater, and I'm wondering if this may have been something that helped you catch the bug, is 
is they're a very tight knit community. It's a very tight family. Um, Chris Cospin does an incredible job as a race director, um, not only with his event, but also connecting, I think, the folks to feeling part of something, something bigger than themselves and really feeling like they belong somewhere. Um, and I think it may be something like that that kind of helped drive even some of your connection to the sport, because I know you are, you're definitely involved in Badwater from here forth for the rest of your <laughs> life. <laughs> Yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, once you once you do a Badwater event, you're sort of in the Badwater family, you know. And actually, I met Andy Glaze um, at Badwater Cape Fear, mm-hmm. and it's it's so funny. I've done Cape Fears my fourth year this year doing it, uh, the fifty miler. And um, you join the sport, and you don't really know anyone, you know. And then you go to more events, and you start meeting people, and then you realize suddenly, like, wow, this is a really tight knit family. And I feel like Badwater really speeds that up. They foster the family by having the racer check-in. And so that's very intimate, you know, and then you do the race. And then the morning after they have a breakfast. And so that's where you can like go and you can hang out with everybody. And, you know, it's just a way to like solidify those memories you had from the day before. And if you're new plugging in, so Chris Kosman, who's the race director, uh, we had him on the show a while ago now, but go find that episode because we talk about really all the different Badwater events. Um, but, but he talks about it. He clearly has a love for the community and, uh, that's Jeff had a chance to meet him at Badwater Cape Fear, but I want to jump back a quick minute because you rattled off a bunch of stuff. So I think some of the things you said, if you're like me, you actually may have heard of Badwater through Born to Run because that was like kind of that, you know, one of the big epic stories in that book. Um, and you talked about resources. So Hal Kerner, that's actually what I used for my first 50 mile training plan. Um, but probably unlike you that, that read the book, I snuck into Barnes and Noble and took a picture of the, of the training plan and then used that. <laughs> you just admitted that on the podcast. <laughs> I don't, you're going to get like arrested for stealing content. Hal Kerner, I bought your book. I bought yeah, your book. That's right. She is better than me. If you're listening, <laughs> I didn't buy it. Um, or look at his picture. <laughs> But let me ask this, because there's probably people listening. So I think everything that you listed off is fantastic. But if somebody's listening, what's, and they're like, hey, I'm kind of where you are. I'm just getting started. I'm going to dive into this. Is there like a top? Is there like one, two, three things that you're like, this is where you got to start? Um, I would say find a race and then find a training plan. Definitely need a training plan. So, and, and use that training plan basically on it like the conditions that the race are so if you like let's see bad water you choose bad water um that's gonna be my first 50 miler all right cool so i need to find a 50 mile training plan how corners training plan or you know free stuff online or going to barnes and noble and taking a picture of how corners <laughs> training plan it is Works. one page so it's it does very work. you know it does work <laughs> you definitely go and, like take a snapshot and then research the race you know what what kind of course is it read race reports what's the what are the normal problems that you run into you know and how do you solve that that's one of the main advice i give to like newbies is to do your research and the more tools you have in your toolbox the better you'll get to the finish line and you know those tools are the solutions to the problems that arise during like an ultra marathon and if you don't have any experience you don't realize what problems you're running into so by researching the race you know, just learning about the race and then reading race reports, which are people's experience of the race, you'll learn how to solve those problems. So I guess, you know, find a race, find a training plan, and then research, you know, the race. The race reports is a really good tip um, because, I, yeah. you know, those are the things that I did too, more just because you're trying to learn about the course, but your point of, Hey, other people's experience that's happening at that race that they're sharing so you can learn through the specifics. Hey, I may I had a foot problem in this area or 
you know, this gave me an issue and then you can plan specifically for that. I think that's really good advice. Like salt and sea, I'll, I'll use that as an example. So Badwater salt and sea, the 81 mile race, it's a partner or a trio race, very unique, highly recommended, very fun race. They called it baby Badwater for a reason. <laughs> but basically if you didn't read a race report, you wouldn't realize that it's really like three races put together. It's so you start, it's like a 40 mile desert race, start at salt and sea and you run 40 miles through the desert on highways. It's very hot, it's pavement, it's rolling hills. And then you get to the trail section. And the trail section is this gnarly, like just uphill, rocky, cacti filled, snake filled like trail that you have to survive the trail. And then you pop out and you do like kind of a cold, wet 50K which is like up a mountain. So it's really three races back to back. And if you didn't research the race, you wouldn't realize that you need to prepare for a hot desert race, a 40 mile desert race, a wicked eight mile trail race, and then a cold 50 K that rockets up the side of a mountain at the end. So like, you know, um, my partner, he didn't realize it may be cold at the end and we're all scrambling. I'm like, yeah, some years it's like 30 degrees, you know, like, so we're trying to figure out how to get him close for the last part. Luckily the, the end of the race wasn't super cold, but, it, you know, he didn't read the race reporter. He didn't read it thoroughly. He did an awesome job. Sam, if you're listening, oh, my God, you were the best partner. Um, but, you know, because he didn't read the race report, we weren't as prepared as we could be for the end. We ended up finishing and having a great time. But like I said earlier, it's just an example of preparing for the race, figuring out the problems you could encounter, like the different types of weather, different types of terrain, you know, and then preparing the solutions for those problems. And so obviously though, when you first started, you didn't have this knowledge base, this arsenal of information in no. your brain and stuff. So how do you think your ultra running has evolved then over the past couple of years? Yeah. Um, so just doing a lot of research, like, like I was saying, I, I read a ton of books, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I had mm -hmm. all these books by all these ultra running people. My friends say like to fangirl over like ultra runners, you know, <laughs> but um, just reading all of their experiences and I'm like, okay, so this is what you experienced during an ultra marathon. And then, you know, just collecting those experiences via different races. So, you know, signing up for the, you know, my first 50 miler and then uh, signing up for my first hundred miler. And, and actually that I kind of put a hundred miler on a, like a pedestal. I was like, I don't, I couldn't do that. Like, that's crazy. I know I've done a 50 miler. I've done two 50 milers, but I don't, I can't do a hundred miler. That's crazy. You know, I've read about it. You know, what if I can't do it? And then I had crossed the magical hundred mile threshold. I'm like, Oh, okay. I can actually do this. And I didn't realize till maybe mile 94, 95, like Stu, my husband had, um, he was pacing me the last 20 miles and, you know, around 96, I'm like, wow, like I'm actually doing this. I'm going to finish a hundred miler, you know? And so, yeah, after I did that, it was sort of no holds bar, you know, like, okay, I can do anything. I'm going to sign up for everything. Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of like the origin, the origin story. I think that's awesome. I think there's a point if you've ever run a hundred miler, um, you're for most people when they run their first, um, or even their first 50 mile, I guess, for that matter. And maybe in the first 50 K depends on, on who you are. Um, there, there's a point that you're like, oh my God, I'm literally going to finish this thing. I cannot believe I'm going to finish. It. I think yeah. everybody <laughs> goes through that on their first time on most of these distances and things. And I think it's a real thing that I tell people, like, there's going to be a point that you're going to tell yourself, holy crap, I'm going to finish. And I can't believe I'm about to finish this thing. Even though you may be a couple hours away, but you know, when it's going, you know, when it clicks and it's a cool experience. Uh, I think it's great. Yeah. 
absolutely. Your first half, your first marathon, your first, you know, anything is like you get towards the end and you're like, wow, I am actually going to finish this. That's crazy. Like, I didn't think this was possible for me. I know other people do it, but wow, like I can do this, you know? Yeah, it's a great moment. Well, and so the thing, like I said, that stands out to me about you is that from the beginning, it seems like you were kind of just like, I love it. I want to do it like as much as I can. And so you said, yeah, I signed up for everything. So you did your first hundred, but if I go back and I don't know if they're all captured there, but if I go back and count on ultra sign up, I've counted 800 mile distances. I think one of them was maybe a 48 hour or something like that, but 800 mile distance. Yeah. Oh, if there's more, but you recently completed three within 90 days. It's so, like a March madness. Yeah. It's like the March madness on steroids. Right. Um, and so obviously our whole thing, like we said in the intro is taking the next step. So I, I love the fact that you've gone from, you know, first was gosh, half marathon. Don't know if I can do this twice. And then fast forward, Oh, 50 miler, but I don't know if I can do this twice. Mm-hmm. Right. So now you're essentially crushing them monthly if you so choose. And we're going to talk about, there are a couple we want to talk about Uari, Cause I think that that was a, you know, you always look happy, but we know you've had some tough experiences. I don't think she was happy. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to talk about her being unhappy. And, and, and then obviously we're going to talk about 135, but so in that three within 90 days, you actually hit your first sub 24 hour hundred. So congratulations on that. And the funny thing is when I think about that, I'm like, Emily doesn't care. She doesn't care. She's or just, does she? Yeah. And then I was like, so that's the question. Did sub 24 mean something to you? Was that important to you? Or was it just like, oh, cool. That happened. Yeah, I've been wanting to hit like sub 24 for a while. You know, it's like the magical number, you know, and it depends on the race. You know, some races are like really, really hard to hit 24. But I knew Blackbeard, like I could hit 24. I had it in me. Everyone was telling me like, oh, yeah, you could totally hit sub 24. Um, But uh, I'm also a really flexible person. Like I go into a race with like a time goal, but I don't let that deter me if I'm not hitting, you know, the, the times that I need, you know, like I don't, I feel like if you're really rigid with that you suddenly abandon hope and it's it's really like easy to kind of get down on yourself during ultra marathon especially like maybe around mile 70 if you're like you know went in wanted to do sub 24 and you realize at mile 70 that you're not going to hit that that's just part of the death spiral you know like oh man i'm feeling tired my legs hurt and now i'm not going to hit my time goal so i'm just going to dnf you know so you know going into a race it's always oh it'd be really cool to hit sub 24 but during Blackbeard, that was, you know, sort of like a goal to hit sub 24. But I knew if I wasn't going to, that's that's fine. You know, just finish is basically like every race. I just I just want to finish. And I want to finish with the least amount of death marching and, you know, the happiest possible, you know. So um, Blackbeard, yeah, was my third hundred in like 90 days. I had done Charleston 100 right after uh, Christmas. Definitely recommend that race. I'd done long haul two and a half weeks later, which is down in Tampa. And that was like mid-January. And so this race is towards the end of March, Blackbeard. So I went in and I'm like, I'm just going to do intervals. So um, my friend, Wendy Murray, who's this amazing lady, um, we had run Charleston 100 together and she had a gym boss. I don't know if you guys have heard of the gym boss. It's like, yeah, right. It's the interval timer. Um, And I got it on Amazon, 20 bucks, battery operated. And you just set like the intervals, you know, uh, I realized I had forgotten that at home. I was very sad. So I just used my phone for interval timer. I know I have three gym bosses now, <laughs> but so, all right, mile five, I'm going to start my intervals. 
And that seems really early in a hundred, you know, most people will try and go 25 miles, 50 miles or whatever. I'm like, you know what? Save my energy. I'm going to start at mile five and start with a four minute run, uh, one minute walk, mm-hmm. maintain that as much as possible. And then um, decrease it. If I'm starting to look at the timer, you know, looking for that walk rate. So started that in mile five, it's a really flat race. So it's really good for intervals. You know, there's, there's no cue to walk. So that's why I like to do intervals for like really flat races. You feel like you're at the back of the pack when you start walking at like mile five. And I, I may have been, but around like the marathon mark, the sun had come up and there's no shade. And so I started passing people and I'm, you know, I'm still feeling strong. I may be doing like a, between a 10 and an 11 minute pace for my running, which, you know, for like, for me and for a hundred is really good. And I'm waiting for like the wheels to come off the bus. I'm like, <laughs> Okay, you know, eventually I'm just gonna start to start start to feel bad, but I'm gonna ride this high and, and wait till maybe it's mile sixty, maybe it's mile seventy five, maybe it's eighty, you know, whatever. Um, and it just kept going, and then the whole race I was, you know, on my phone. I have this website called like the Race Pace Calculator. I just Google Race Pace Calculator and I put in like the time I have left in the race and then a twenty four hour pace and just kind of see where I am. And I think I had started at like, all right, you have to hit like an 18 minute mile for the rest of the race, which in a hundred miler can be a tall order. So, you know, every mile I hit under 18 minute mile, I'm like, all right, I'm banking time. And so I'm hitting maybe a 12 minute mile, a 13 minute mile, you know, but still like, okay, cool. I banked four minutes. I banked five minutes. And then just in the race, I'm, I'm doing this calculation. I'm like, okay, I needed an 18 minute. Now I need a 19 minute, which means I got, you know, I banged more time. And then towards the end of the race, I realized I needed a 25 minute mile to finish with a 24 hour finish. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this. Unless something catastrophically terrible happens, like I'm going to hit sub 24. So that, that felt pretty great. I'm getting towards the end. And I realize I look at my watch, Blackbeard's always like maybe a mile, like almost exactly a mile over a hundred which is very frustrating. You you hit 100 on your watch, but then you realize you still have a mile to go. But anyway, I'm looking at my watch and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to hit sub 23. Like I'm going to do a sub 2300 miler where I was really looking for a sub 24. And so I'm running, I put on this one like really motivating song and I'm running towards the end. I can see it, I can see the finish and I'm starting to like cry and I'm like breathing really hard because I'm running really fast and then it's humid and I can't breathe. And I'm like, choking in air and I make it to the finish and I realized I was like two or three minutes like sub 23 um so like you know my my previous PR was at Blackbeard it was 25 30 I'm looking for a 24 hour finish and I actually finished in 22 57 so it was it was just wild I'm like wow look at a little bit of consistency with training can do you know like like if I could pull out a 25 30 with sporadic training and suddenly I you know peak PR by you know how much is that like two and a half hours yeah, right it, like it's great wow. it's yeah the um we had an episode with Jeff and Katie Wilson that talked about doing interval training and they start they do their intervals at a four and a two four minute run two minute walk and they start from the very beginning and um a lot of folks who do the run walk yeah. will actually recommend starting at the start of the whistle you know just begin immediately in your intervals and don't worry about anybody else you will eventually pass 75 percent of them um and it's an amazing I agree and, you know oh, yeah. like yeah by the 25 mile mark, I'm starting to pass people by 30, by 40, 50, 60, 70. I'm passing people because I started so early with the intervals. You know, I've just banked that energy and I feel like 
people who wait, you know, maybe I'll just run the first 50 miles, which I know sounds crazy. I'll just run the first 50 miles um, and then wait to do intervals. I feel like you've already used up all your energy, you know, whereas if you start early with your intervals, you're like saving that energy for the last half, you know. Yeah. One thing, one thing that you mentioned was that you had, um, you already had the gym boss. I know you didn't bring it with you for the race, but it means you probably had already practiced doing some run, walk interval training. And one thing I tell people, if you're going to do run, walk in a race, um, you should definitely practice it. You should do it on your long runs and get used to the, um, change in momentum because a lot of people aren't used to that starting and stopping. But once you get to that habit of it, it it's very powerful if you do it. So, um, yeah, but you do need to practice it. And shout out to Caleb Doodle, who just used the 4-2 at, and I think he was right at 23 hours as well for okay. his first 100 um, at the Black Mountain Monster. I think it was 24-hour, but. With the gym boss that I recommended. Yeah. So. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> but so for everybody listening, hopefully you're hearing a theme, right? And that was kind of the thing with Jeff and Katie Wilson was sub-24 intervals are a great way to do it and so if you're looking at your first 100 take it from emily you know like you said you knock two and a half hours off of your your pr and you, and that wasn't your first right you've done a, quite a few so you will surprise yourself that's a big you will surprise if you can if you can stick with it be patient so yeah I, absolutely it's all about you know like you feel like you want to run as much as possible at the beginning of the race because you know you're going to be tired but like it's really about um to quote like a Corey race book he says you want to smooth your energy out like peanut butter, you know, in like an ultra marathon. You don't want to put it on too thin in the beginning and then have a bunch at the end, you know. So you don't want to start too slow and then have all this energy at the end. But you also don't want to put it on too fast, you know, like a big like glob of peanut butter at the beginning and then it's just really dry at the end of the toast. You know, like you want to spread it out evenly. And I feel like intervals really helps you spread out that energy mm -hmm. evenly throughout the race, you know. It's a, a really good way to think about it. I want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and now, butter, and now we're hungry. Thanks, Emily. But... <laughs> I'm always hungry. I'm vegan. I'm a runner. I eat all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we're going to, I want to get to Bellwater 135, but I want to hear about you because there's a couple to me, kind of crazy stories that came out of that. This is in 2019. Uh, we've talked about you on the show before. I have not run out there, but, uh, from what I hear, it's pretty legit. It's pretty technical. It's a course that'll kind of chew you up and spit you out. But <laughs> she's holding up the URI. That's my URI, honey. Yep. <laughs> um, but so that year, when we when we went and looked at it, there was a tropical storm that came through. There was 19 finishers and 27 DNFs. So less than half the field made the finish. And your time out there was 35 hours and 30 minutes and so regardless of what somebody's accomplished before to be out on a course for that amount of time is impressive in its own but to know that it was wet it was tough and most people had called it quits already however what i'm almost more fascinated about was the beginning of that day because you showed up <laughs> realized you were missing something that i uh, should tell us about that because we're all going to fall in love with Stu. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, Uwari is a wicked race. It's, it's very challenging. It's, it's, they call it, um, what is it? Relentless or unrelenting. I forget the, the exact title, but yeah, you, you go in and you know, it's very hard. You know, it has like a low finisher rate in general. And so I went in like knowing the race is going to be hard. It was going to be rocky. It was going to be rudy. It was going to be really technical. I had done, you know, canal corridor, which is very flat, fast hundred. I had done Umstead, which is not flat, but still like kind of e not easy trails, but you know, it's, it's very not technical trails. 
So I'm going into UR. I'm like, all right, this is going to be really hard. I don't know if I can finish, but, you know, I'm just going to see what I can do, you know? And then I realized the tropical storm was coming in. I'm like, okay, make it, just make it as hard as possible. Why not? You know, <laughs> if I can finish, it'll be a lot of bragging rights. So I'm, we get there. I'm with my then boyfriend, now husband, Stu. And I'm unpacking all my stuff I have brought. I have it all over the, the hotel bed and I'm organizing it, you know, organizing it by drop bags, organizing it by, you know, what I'll start the race with and, and all of that, what I'm going to keep in the car and realize, you know, I've, I've got my glasses on and I'm like, oh, God, I forgot my contacts. Like, it's going to rain and I'm going to be on these technical trails and I don't have my contacts. Like, oh, God. So we're trying to like, you know, fire drill. Like, how do we solve this problem? You know, it's 7 p.m. It's uh, Friday night and I'm in like Troy, Albemarle. I don't know. We're in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina. You know, we're three hours from Wilmington where I live. and we decided that, um, you know, I would start the race with my glasses and then the, if it's 20.5 mile loops, um, Stu would drive back to Wilmington three hours, get my contacts and then drive another three hours to hopefully catch me by the end of loop one. So I can have my contacts for loop two. And so I, the race, you know, I'm like, all right, Thanks. Hopefully see you, you know, soon. Um, hopefully I'm not too fast and you're not too slow, you know. So I start loop one, 20.5 miles, you know, with glasses and it's really humid. You know, it's in October, so it's it's still a little warm and it's very wet out there. And so I'm having to like wipe my glasses, you know, <laughs> like I feel like every few steps like to try and see so I don't fall on any rocks or roots. And luckily, when I finished the first loop, there is Stu and he has my contacts. I'm like, oh, my God, thank God. So I put my contacts in, go out for loop two. And, yeah, I, I finished the race, you know, skipped to the end. Spoiler alert, did finish the race. But it was, you know, the beginning, I'm like, one, two, worry. It's going to be really hard. Two, there's a tropical storm coming in. Oh, my God. And three, now I don't have my contacts, you know. And somehow I did get to the finish, which is very fun story how I got to the finish but yeah so that that's the origin of super stew crew you know he had crewed me for the first hundred um cannot order my second umstead but that's where he really like oh yeah okay he's the best crew <laughs> lifelong crew slow clap for stew that's <laughs> fast, clap. fast clap for stew <laughs> oh no I, he wised up so and I think he would have rather done this six hour round trip than pacing me for the last parts mm. of my hundreds. We realized that I'm very grumpy in the last 20 miles when I'm death marching. And he's like, I think I'd rather just drive the six hours in the beginning of the race than have to finish the last 20 with you. So <laughs> we realized that it's just not a, not, a, not a good pacer at the end. You know, I, I grumble too much. <laughs> my guess is that you're grumpy and my grumpy are different, but I could be wrong. <laughs> I well, I feel like the first two, like, I, they were just a death march. And you know how you're comfortable around your person, you know, oh, yeah. like, you may not be as vulnerable with other people. So we just realized, I, I think I'm just too comfortable with you for you to face <laughs> me. And now I'm just gonna be like, instead of just pretending to be like, oh, everything's great. I'm like, no, this actually really sucks. And you know, I'm just gonna be grumpy for the last 20 miles. Sorry, you know, <laughs> we're just gonna slowly make it to the finish. So we're kind of glossing over this idea that of what you accomplished, to be quite honest with you. It's it's a very rare thing to hear what we're talking about, that that you're faced with a lot of challenges that aren't even 
physical related to the race itself. You're talking about a tropical storm that's coming through, which is a good excuse for a lot of people to not even show up to the starting line. You then realize mm-hmm. you don't have contacts that you need to actually see without fogging up your glasses <laughs> or anything like that in a rainstorm. And so that's another good excuse not to even show up to the starting line or to, to figure out some other problem. And the race itself is, is unrelenting is how they describe it on their, on their website. It's an incredible amount of vert. It's bouldering. It's super technical. It's not easy. It is not for the faint hearted. And we've talked about it on some other races. We've had other guests who've run it as well. Um, it is a very high DNF rate. And as a lot of people who just don't, who just cannot finish it. And so despite the other challenges and all the other reasons you didn't want to do it or couldn't have done it, whatever, you, you ignored all those things. And yet you went through a very grueling ultra as well. Like, how do you keep going? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, I kind of touched on this in the beginning. You know, ultra running, of course, is very physical. Like, you have to train to, like, push your body to the limits, time on your feet, train your leg muscles to keep going after, like, 60, 70 miles. But it's it's really mental. And I'm, that's how I got through URI is um, just preparing myself mentally. Like, this is, this is probably going to suck. Like, this is going to be up to 36 hours of just sucking. So if it sucks for less than 36 hours, it's a win in my head, you know? And also, um, so Stu likes to listen to Jocko and I kind of hear it in the background. You know, I I think I will not say I'm a Jocko listener, not saying anything against it, but you know, I was aware of Jocko and I know he's like a very wholesome, very positive kind of guy and very like inspiring. And there is this, um, like one YouTube video that I kept listening to over and over and over and over again, like the week before you worry. And it was Jocko and it's called good. Like if you just YouTube, like Jocko, good. Yeah. And so basically it was like, you know, he would go into battle or something and one of his soldiers would come to him and be like, oh my God, Jocko, something went wrong. He would say good. And his soldier's like, why are you saying good? Like something like the plan fell apart. He's like, good. Now we get to learn from this. You know, it means that you can be better for the next time. So I'm just listening to that over and over and over again. And I'm like, okay, you are really hard good you know oh there's a tropical storm coming good you know now i'm gonna learn how to run a really hard race in a tropical storm and i forgot my contacts all right good i'm gonna figure out how to run you know with glasses on and if Stu doesn't make it by lap two then i guess i'll just run 40 miles and glasses you know eventually he's gonna come back hopefully or he's gonna be like eh, no, i'm not gonna create <laughs> this i'm just gonna stay home you know <laughs> luckily he came back but i even wrote on my arm sleeves, good, like on each arm sleeve, you know, like to remember that. Um, and I also had these two friends who had passed away like before my first hundred miler, like they were really into like my running, like just my crazy running in general. And so for each of my hundred milers, I had written their name also mm-hmm. on my arm sleeve. So I had Annie's name, I had Megan's name, and then I had good written on my arm sleeves. And just throughout the race, like anything that crazy happened, I was like, all right, good. You know, I saw a snake. I like copperhead maybe good I'm like trying to eat my noodles my cup of noodles and the rain is pouring down and I have to keep pouring the rainwater out I'm like good you know just (laughs) positive mindset the whole time and also my pacers they were the best Lori Darren Raina they were best they kept me in really great spirits Lori gave me a lot of advice Darren gave me a lot of advice they had both run URE um and yeah I just I feel like I finished because I had such a positive mindset and that touches on, you You see him always like super happy at races because I'm keeping that positive mindset because if I don't, that's when you spiral into the death spiral. And that's when the race becomes no fun and you're like, you know, in dangers of DNFing. So if you can just stay positive the whole time, that's another secret to ultra running is just stay positive. I think that's your Which just can be really hard, you know. 
Yeah, but I think that's your strength. Yeah, it's it's really hard to stay positive. You know, even <laughs> I tell I tell people this who don't really know about ultra, and they're like, "Don't about ultra." And I'm like, "It's the joy of a porta potty at mile 80 when it's raining and it's cold and it's Uwari and you're sitting in the porta potty and you're like." I've never been so comfortable. One, I'm <laughs> sitting, and two, it's warm in here. Like, you know, that's that's the joy of ultra running is appreciating the porta potty. I love the porta potty. There's a comment. lot to digest. I know. Yeah, no, but <laughs> so one of the things. So I I've seen that Jocko video, right? Good. And that yeah, good, good, <laughs> right? Good. Um, but the thing is, it's it's easy to take in. I love the fact that you listen to it leading up, and then you're able to apply it because I've heard mm-hmm. that video several times. But when something happened to me, I didn't immediately go, good, right? I went, oh, crap. Like, here we <laughs> That's go. why she wrote right. on her arm sleeves. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So being able to apply it, one, I'm like, okay, because like you said, I think that's your strength, right? Mm-hmm. We even had a question is how do you keep such a positive attitude? But you answered that. Mm-hmm. Like it is intentional and you're putting that in. But not only that, you're finding ways to, okay, now how do I actually apply that to my situation? Mm-hmm. I say that. But I'll say may not all be unicorns and rainbows because you told us at the end of Blackbeard's 2022, didn't sound like you were saying good. Sound like you were saying, um, what, what were you hoping for? What, what wouldn't have been so bad if it would happen? <laughs> if I have been hit by a car at mile 96. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you sent us an email and you said, Hey, you know, I found myself pretty much daydreaming about getting hit by a car, right? Cause that's your excuse. <laughs> And I was like, I feel it. I've I've daydreamed about injury for sure. Um, I just thought that was funny. But she won't stop. Right. So it requires somebody yeah. else to take oh, her yeah. out. She's no. not going to jump in front of the car. But... Right. It'd have to swerve. Yeah. yeah. But if it, if it clips me, you know, Good. and I'm just taken out for the race, that I wouldn't mind that, you know, <laughs> at the time. Yeah. Good. Oh, uh, yeah. So we're going to, we're going to finally switch gears to, um, something I've been wanting to talk about since we decided to hang out with you in the first place. And that is the Badwater 135. This is what's on your radar. This is near and dear to your heart. Badwater is near and dear to me. I mean, I love everything about it. And so, um, it is a bucket list race for a ton of people for you though. What do you think sets this apart from all the others? Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, you you heard the tales. It's the world's toughest foot race. It's the Olympics of ultra running. You know, it's it's this mythical, magical race. It's 135 miles. It's really long. It's and then it's through Death Valley. You know, like people drive through Death Valley and look at the temperature on the car and take a picture and say, "I drove through Death Valley while it was 120." And now there's people who run through that. So my partner Sam at um, Badwater Salton Sea. He said, he likes to describe 135, is that you're placed in hell, you know, Badwater Basin at the hottest part of the year, and then you have to, you just make your way out of it, you survive out of Death Valley, and that's how I feel, like, you drop in, like, one of the most hospitable places in Earth, and you just have to survive, you know, you're put to pavement, you know, keep just one foot in front of the other, and... I don't know. There's just something different about it. If, if you've been to Death Valley, you know, the the feeling is just, it feels like another planet. It feels like another world, you know, and then to know that you're going to be running through that, that's part of the backdrop of like this crazy race. Um, it's a race where you hear about it and you're like, okay, only people like Scott Jurek and David Goggins and, you know, all these crazy people, like they can do that. I can never do that. I, I'm not this like 
you know, a superhuman person. I'm just a normal person. And then you learn more about the race and you realize like, oh, okay. Like maybe you don't have to be superhuman, but you still have to be like a super athlete. And then you learn, you know, about more about the race and you meet more people who have done it. And you're like, wait, no, like average people can do this race. Like, of course you have to be a little crazy and you have to do like a little bit of training, maybe a little bit of training. Um, (laughs) But like normal people can do this race. So it becomes from this like mythical magical race to like the possible, like it's actually possible to finish this. And so that's, that's kind of what it means to me is like, it's the unachievable, like becoming achievable. So I guess to like put a pretty bow on it, it's, it's learning your limits and learning that you can, you know, push yourself further than you can imagine. Um, and yeah, that, that's what bad water means to me. I know that's kind of rambly, but. <laughs> I think it's good. Well, so that said, right, like, I agree. 135 miles. It's long. It's different things, but it is set apart because it's got some factors in there that that probably you're going to face for the first time. I would imagine, at least to those extremes, right? So even though you've done a lot before, how are you training specifically for it? Like from a tactical perspective, what are you doing to prepare? Yeah. So definitely researching. So like all my other races, I'm researching. I'm reading race reports. I'm reading books where specifically it's like people have done bad water. Uh, highly recommend Death Valley 300. Great book. And also, I guess training wise is, of course, I'm running a lot, doing a lot of mileage. I think my most mileage in a week without a race was like 90 miles. I have a coach, uh, Pete Kostownik, you know, super awesome, like definitely bad water legend. Um, he uh, has won it two or three times set the course record. It's not the current record, but, you know, set the course record. And so I knew like, P definitely knows this race. So, you know, I have him as my coach and I talk to him weekly and he sets like my training. In addition to running, I also heat train. Uh, that's a really big part of the race because you are running in like 120, 130 degrees. So you have to be prepared for the heat. So I'm heat training by going to a gym called Hotworks. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. Mm-hmm. We have three in Wilmington. Really cool. It's like, a gym with saunas so you're in these kind of mini saunas and then you're working out in the sauna so they have like cycling they have like a water rower you could do like a yoga or pilates class or whatever but it's 130 degrees and you're working out in the sauna wow. um so yeah my awesome friend peggy ward who uh did bad water in 2019 she used hot works as her heat training and we met actually last year crewing the same runner at 135. And she's like, yeah, that's that's what I did for heat training. Other people will go and run in the heat in like layers. Um, some people will like sit in their car when it's really hot, you know, and just keep the windows up. I do that. Um, I'm staying in this hotel that I am in, in Atlanta specifically because it has a sauna. So, you know, I chose this hotel so that I could heat train while I'm, uh, you know, out of town for work. Running, heat training, incline walking, doing a lot of core, doing strength training at least once a week, you know, that's really important. And then mobility. So I'm doing all this different stuff and I'm trying to spread it throughout the week to be like a more well-rounded runner where in the past I may have just been running. But I think doing all of that has uh, is really what like made me hit sub 23 at Blackbeard, just, you know, being a well, more well-rounded runner. And also what made salt and sea such a pleasure was like having that well-rounded like training um i think that's how i got to the end like in positive spirits you know is, is all that different types of training 
and and doing Sonsi. That was a really good training because they they call it like a baby badwater, and it really is like a baby badwater. If you want to run something that's similar to 135, I totally recommend uh, badwater Sonsi. So, what kind of cooling strategy are you going to use? Because you can't you got to heat train to get used to to the idea of feeling that heat, but you're still going to get hot. Like you're still going to deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. Itself. So, how will you? What's going to be your cooling strategy? So I was really able to put it in a test at Salt and Sea, um, and it worked really well. It was like 104, 105 degrees, and I did was not hot at all during that first 40 miles. Um, so basically, like there's an ice bandana. You can put the ice bandana. Or it's a bandana. You fill it with ice, and then you put it on the back of your neck. Um, and then I put a buff over it to make sure it was against my neck. And then I had my arm sleeves, and we would just pack in ice in the arm sleeves. Um, I had this crew member. It was actually Sam's brother, Josh. Josh is not a runner. He's not an ultra runner. He has never crewed before. But Sam was like, hey, can you come crew? And Josh is like, yeah, sure. And Sam's like, do you want to know what it is? He's like, don't tell me anything. Just I'm just going to show up and do it. He was amazing. He was so good at crewing. I was like, dude, a squat just opened up at 135. Do you want to come? He's like, absolutely. <laughs> His favorite part was like putting ice in my arm sleeves because he would just scoop it out and I would, you know, open it up and he's like, all right, how many scoops? One or two. I'm like, it's two, you know. <laughs> and um, we we joked that we had our PR of arm scooping was on the trail section because it was eight miles. They weren't going to see me. So they put five scoops in each arm. But yeah, so I'm going to have an ice bandana. I'm going to have ice in the arm sleeves. Um, I'm going to have ice water and mixed drink in my hand. And then my crew is going to meet me between every one to two miles. Mm. Um, and they'll also spray me down with uh, cold water. And then we're going to have a sponge too. And so they'll put as much water on me as possible from the waist up so that, you know, water doesn't get in my shoes because you don't want wet feet. You know, that's where you get blisters and all of that. Yeah, so that's gonna cool me down. Ice just and just keeping me wet. And um it sounds like wow, like you're just gonna be drenched, right? But no, it it like the water evaporates almost immediately and the ice melts super fast and evaporates just because it's such a dry heat. So Yeah, I heard somebody on social media the other day and I cannot remember who it was. So I apologize if they hear this and I don't reference them, but they talked about the fact they run in the desert a lot and they wear cotton shirts. I'm like, I would never wear cotton because it's going to like just blister me or whatever it is or chafe me. But they wear cotton because it holds moisture better than the dry wick shirts. Oh, because it's, yeah, so yeah. hot and dry. Mm -hmm. Like the, the sweat and everything like evaporates immediately. So it's not like you're going to get your cotton shirt wet and it's going to chafe you, you know? So, yeah. And that's actually another, This it sounds counterintuitive, but you, you cover up as much as possible at 135. You think, oh man, you're gonna get hot, but you need to cover up because one, you're limiting sun exposure, and two, you're trapping as much sweat and moisture, like the you know the water they spray on you, to keep it on you as much as possible because it's just gonna evaporate like immediately. As soon as you sweat, you know if you don't have anything on your body, it's just gonna evaporate immediately. But if you have arm sleeves on, it'll at least stay in your arm sleeves you know, long enough to hopefully cool you down a little bit. So you've talked about crew several times, right? And you've gone out and crewed and done this. And I think when you, like, if we've been running ultras for a while, we're used to like, oh yeah, we show up and there's aid stations every so often and we do this. And I think Chris Costman was on the show, right? It was pretty much like, hey, your crew is everything because we can't put volunteers out there because they'll just essentially die, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can't just put them in the pretty desert. Much, yeah. <laughs> and so crew is critical. And how have you gone about or, or talked to that? Because I haven't been out there. I've heard the stories, but like, 
how do you put your crew together? And then one of the questions we had is, uh, you know, why isn't, why isn't Stu your crew chief? Like, what's up with that? <laughs> Sorry, Stu. Now, okay. So that's a great, that's a great question. So like, how do you put together your 135 crew? So I'm lucky enough that I, I know all of my crew. So, but other people may, you know, they may not know, have as much crew as they need. So you can go to the Facebook, the Badwater Facebook page and post like, Hey, I need a crew. There's a ton of people who want a crew. So if you don't know enough people that are like able to go out um, for bad water, you can go to Facebook and find people that way. But luckily, I um, so I started with uh, a crew of four. So I had, of course, Stu was going to go out. He, you know, he's my Stu crew. He's crewed me a bunch. I reached out to Jason Ledoyan, who is now my crew chief. And I'm so glad I was kind of hesitant because asking someone to like be your crew at 135 is like, can you come out to the desert with me for a week, you know, and suffer, like, and you don't even get the buckle at the end, I get the buckle, you know, so I was like, okay, I'll ask Jason, um, he, Jason's amazing, he has ran Badwater uh, two times, a, I think it was 2017, 2018, um, he's also the race director of Tideland 24, highly recommend the race, it's, like, one of the best 24-hour races I've done, and I, I met Jason at Umstead one year, I was wearing a Badwater hat, I think it was right after his 2018 finish and he's running through Umstead and he sees me. I have a bad water hat and he's like, Oh my God, have you ran it? I'm like, no, but I want to. And we ended up running for like five hours together. I feel like, but um, we met because of bad water. And then I eventually made it out to Thailand 24 last year, ran his race. And so anyway, I was like, all right, Jason, I would love Jason to be my crew chief. Cause he was Wendy's crew chief. He'd also crewed. Um, I think it was Brenda something. I forget her name, but he'd crewed her one year and she had finished third. So I knew he had a lot of experience. I knew he'd ran it. I knew he was an awesome dude. And, um, he's like, absolutely. Oh my gosh. I'm so honored you would ask me. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Like I was worried he'd be like, ew, no, I don't want to go out there. Like it also, it's 4th of July, like on top of spending a week away from your family in the desert, you know, crewing me for up to 48 hours. It's also on 4th of July. So actually my crew now, my crew now is Stu, Jason's my crew chief. And then um, I I asked Josh, who was my crew at Salton Sea. Awesome. Love Josh. And then I asked Simon Lee, who I met at um, Badwater Cape Fear last year. Him um, and his husband, Joe, were running together and I was volunteering. Super amazing. And then they came back and ran um, Badwater this year as their first 50 miler. And then they ran Blackbeard 100K the next weekend as their first 100K. So I knew they were both crazy. So yeah, I have a great crew. Um, and yeah, what are the roles? So a crew chief is basically just going to keep all of my data. Like, so he's, he's going to record all of my nutrition, my hydration, like everything throughout the race. He's going to keep a sheet of that just to make sure I'm not falling behind on anything and calories. He's the, uh, like a project manager by trade. And so that's basically what he's going to do on um, my bad water crew and then um him and simon and Stu are going to be my pacers so at mile 42 you get to pick up a pacer so they'll be running with me a mile to three miles at a time um josh is like i'm not a runner but i want to go walk with you i'm like there's gonna be a lot of walking so you can definitely walk with me you know <laughs> like when i'm walking during the race um and then you need a driver so people they'll probably go in and out like different drivers and then you'll have people who are actually like in the back like crewing so and by crewing i mean putting together my ice bottles putting um snacks on a tray getting my salt tabs you know all of that so the crew 
you really need like a four person crew like the entire time because they're like rotating jobs, pacing, driving, recording stats, filling water bottles, you know, all of that stuff. Essentially keeping you alive in the desert. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your crew, <laughs> like, they say, I think, I'm pretty sure Costin says this and a lot of other people say this about 135, like, your crew cannot win the race for you, but they can lose the race because you really rely on the crew. Sure, I'm putting, you know, foot to pavement, but they're my brain. They're, like, thinking about my nutrition and my hydration, and they're getting me my water and all of that. So, like, you can absolutely not do 135 without your crew. So... There's something you said that got my attention, made me think of something a little bit different. You mentioned part of it, three people in your crew are going to be helping to pace and they're going to be doing it like for two or three miles at a time. It struck me as odd at first because I'm like, that's awful short distance. And then you said, and inside the, you know, the vehicle, they're all like getting all my ice together and all my electrolytes and everything. How often are you be interacting with your crew members in that vehicle? She said like every one, um, two to three miles, right? Yeah, but like, are they yeah, stopping to, to give two. you ice? Are they stopping yeah. to give you ice every one to two? Oh, yeah. yeah, and I know some people who, um, it's like every half mile, which is insane. So that's why it's so hard to be the crew is because you are on for up to 48 hours. Like, there's no rest. You know, you go to a, a you know, Umstead and you may see your runner every 12 and a half miles, you know? Or you go to another race, you see your runner every six mile or six hours. This is you see your runner every... 10, 20 minutes, you know? So like you have to crew every 20 minutes. It is a long slog for the crew. You're going through a ton In fact, Peggy, of ice. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll have, ice is your life out in 135. Like we're gonna have a, a, a cooler of just ice. Um, and there's only a couple spots in the race where you can pick up ice. So you have to make sure you're like stocked up. Coolers and coolers is like, if I have room, it's ice. Well, I'm thinking in terms of you stopping at an aid station and most ultras every five to seven miles. Yeah, no, this you're is... seeing your crew like every mile to two. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. To that, and, and two is like pushing it. Like Pete said, you should probably do it every like one to like one and a half is what he recommended. And, yeah. you know, you said pacing it like two to three miles. That seems really short, right? But like, it's really hot out there, you know? So like, you don't want to burn your crew out. So you got to switch them in and out, you know, and. And that's why the crew is important for them to heat train and train as well. Like Jason, my crew chief is joking that Stu will be ready to hop in if I decide not to do 135 because, you know, Stu's doing my training plan. So he's just <laughs> as ready for bad water as I am, you know. <laughs> if you stop every two miles and 135 miles, that's 67 aid stations. That's a yeah. lot of stops. Yeah. At, it's a at, lot of stops. So that's yeah. why one of the strategies is you got to keep going it's you can't just hang out with your crew like you gotta oh thanks for my stuff and i'll see you in two miles you know it's uh 360 something scoops of ice that you're putting in those arm sleeves <laughs> yeah. my math, right? <laughs> i know i know josh, josh is gonna be tired you know scooping that ice, lot. you know in my arm sleeves so yeah i know i know and we've, we've hammered this point a few times between you and i at least talking about bad water and the importance of bad water and the family, the closeness of the community, the, the entire event, the, the amount of training that goes into it, the amount of involvement from people who are supporters of you, like your crew and everything. Um, we talked about the fact when you finished your first um, 100 mile or under 24 hours, how it felt to do that. But I have a feeling that when you finish Badwater 135, that you're going to have a feeling that's going to be a little bit different maybe than anything else you've experienced. How do you think that finish is going to feel? 
I don't know. Like, I'm trying not to think about the finish because I'm trying, like, one of my, like, strategies for, like, staying positive is to try and enjoy the whole race, you know? Like, don't just think about the finish because you finish and then, like, sure, it's great, but then the joy is fleeting. You're like, oh, now it's done, you know? Like, I'll never run bad water again for the first time, you know? Like, of course, I'm going to be happy to, like, see the finish because I'm going to be like, oh, oh, finally, it'll be done, but I don't know. Like, it's it's going to feel weird, you know, because it's like, that's this race that I've been, been wanting to do for so long, you know, and then like, now it's over and you've done it, you know, like, and now, you know, you can do bad water. What, what next, you know, but what I'm, I'm really looking forward is right. Like everything up until the finish, you know, like I'm, I'm trying to think about like, how's it going to feel running through like bad water basin? How's it going to feel getting to stovepipe, you know, hitting all the those points um but yeah I, I think I'm definitely gonna cry I cry through like every one of my races it's just you know it's like oh my gosh I'm gonna cry at the end and then I'm gonna hug everyone and it's you know I'm gonna be like oh my god Cosman, you are literally the devil that was like the hardest race I've ever done I'm pretty sure I'm gonna say something like that but yeah I don't know it's gonna be it's, it's gonna be an interesting feeling definitely different than any other finish line of cross I'm sure but I actually like your answer better than I thought because um, I, I guess I was focused more like how we how you would finish at the fe- feel at the finish rather, but the idea that you're going to literally celebrate every moment along the way is how, how you're kind of perceiving this is probably even better than just focusing on what it's going to feel like at the finish. So I respect that a lot. I think that's really cool. Yeah, and I think that's how I get to the finish. Is I if you're just thinking like oh man, I'm just going to get to the finish line is like, you're not appreciating the race. And then, you know, if you're feeling down at mile 60, you still have, what is that? 75 miles to go, you know, like that's a long time. And if you're just hoping for the finish, like that's so far away. So that's why you have to appreciate like every part of the race possible, you know, and, and just, you know, the finish line is just another like awesome moment in the race. I think it's awesome. I was looking up, so the Badwater Cup, there's only like 70-something people that have done that since 2014. So so it really is, like I said, uh, kind of a a small and distinguished list. I'm really excited to kind of follow the journey, see you get added to that list. Um, And I have no doubt, just because of who you are, that even when things get difficult, and we didn't even talk about it, but, uh, you know, I'm sure it sounds like a problem for tomorrow. Right, I'm sure you'll come up with plenty of problems that are a problem for tomorrow. I would like to credit Lori Matecki with that saying. Um, I asked her during EURE 2019, like, you know, I was starting to have a blister on the back of my foot. And I'm like, Lori, like, I have a blister. What do I do? Like, you've done so many reasons. You've done EURE. She's like, this sounds like a problem for tomorrow, Emily. I'm like, oh, that's really good. I actually said it at Boogie this weekend. So <laughs> I told Lori, I'm like, I love that saying. And she's like, that's a problem for tomorrow, Emily. So <laughs> <laughs> it's so good though. I mean, just from a mindset perspective, just a, a little trick. But you said, you know, kind of what comes after this. I've done bad water, but you mentioned um a couple things. So one, you've done some of the kind of the set time races, right? 12 hour, 24 hour, those types of things. But I'm really excited to see you jump into a backyard ultra. So I know you mentioned Southern Tour, <laughs> last man standing. I think that you are made for those type of races. So that'll be a cool one to kind of witness that as well. But. Yeah. I mean, 
I, I was kind of a hater of the backyard race. I'm like, I feel like this for fast people, you know, like you can't bank time at a last man standing. It's you, you start the clock over and over again. So I feel like if you're fast, you finish the lap first, you fast and you have all this time to like do aid stations and stuff. But then I realized I'm like, really, it's an endurance thing. And I'm an endurance person, you know, so I, you know, let me sign up for a last man standing at Southern Tour and then see where I can stand, you know. So like I'm a reformed last man standing hater. Although I, I would like for it to be called last person standing. Yeah. Because I'm gonna win and I'm not a man. Fair enough. <laughs> Just kidding. You, you, can, be, you can be I the one to won't. get a, you can be the one to get Tom to change the name officially. Right. Exactly. <laughs> last but, runner standing. There you go. I'm a fan. So when this releases, it's not too far until Badwater comes out. So if you're listening, this is one that you want to follow. So it's at hungry underscore vegan underscore runner. We'll put it in the notes, but your posts and your smile and just the, like, I'm jealous. Like every time I see him, like, she looks like she has so much fun everywhere she goes. Right. Um, so follow, follow along because you're a lot of fun to kind of engage with and, and follow for everybody listening. Can't tell you how much we appreciate you guys. Um, like I said before, if you're finding value, please share. It's how we grow and it means the world to us. And, and we're going to keep you around because we're going to do a game for Patreon. It's one of our favorite parts. So we're going to do that, but uh, we just can't tell you how much we've appreciated this chat with you. Woo-hoo. I loved it. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> and for everybody listening again you know that the motto is just show up you've been showing up i mean you were showing up way before 2016 but from an ultra standpoint i mean over and over and over so uh you're kind of the epitome of just show up and with that we'll talk soon cuts Cut. i'm excited are you Very good time. I am. yay okay. we're gonna talk about something really hot <laughs> Holy sh! There's a bad connectors on here. I can connectors. <laughs> You've already done <laughs> Holy it. Holy crap! Okay. <laughs> we do have some housekeeping rules. We like to tell all of our guests, even though we know you, love you, and have known you for a long time, we got to tell you our rules to keep you in line. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's why we do it. <laughs> I've been having brain issues, so if I just like freeze, just give me a minute. I'll edit it out. Uh, but no, we won't. <laughs> I have brain freezes all the time, so. And welcome back to the Ultra Running Guys. You got Jeremy. <laughs> it's really bad. So Emily, I'm gonna go ahead and just give a little bit more background. He's gonna give an introduction he uh, has spent all day prepping for, and he is uh, going to get stressed out, and we'll try not to laugh at him. She'd be like, why are I talking about this stupid race? Oh, yeah. well, like, good, 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 good. <laughs> and then like that, what is the, the video like that used to be too popular? Like, honey badger, honey badger, mushroom, mushroom. No? <laughs> and we have yeah, no idea. Like, that works for me. I actually asked Jeff, I'm like, what sound does a badger make? No, I don't know. <laughs> He cuts a lot of me out. Yeah, so it's pretty much, it'll just be yeah, me, me and you chatting <laughs> no. for about 45 minutes. At some point, he'll get it right. <laughs> and welcome. Uh, no, you guys are laughing. All right. Shh, shh, quiet. Demand silence. Uh, Jeff for Twinsies. I've got my bad water salt and sea shirt. <laughs> right, because, you know, we participated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whatevs. That's all I got to say. All right, listen, thank you so much. We recognize the fact that you are probably just hanging on just for a couple more minutes as you're finishing up your run. But really, we do want to give you a huge thank you for the constant support that you've shown us. We hear you and we feel you. And the best way for us to continue to grow is for you to share us with your friends. Tell them what you put in your ears when you're out there on a long run. Hit the like button, leave us a comment. 
um, leave a review and give us some direct feedback on what you like about the show and also what you don't like. We're here to improve and do it for you. And it really means the world. And listen, if you would like to support financially, you can connect with us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the ultra running guys, or you can use the support link in the show notes. Any and all support goes directly back into growing the show and helping us get better at what we love to do, which is to serve all of you. And with that, finish up that run, get cleaned up, and just show up. Clean. Clean. <laughs> <laughs>